Hey, what's going on, everybody? Brendan Schaefer coming at you with another episode of B Shape Daily. It is Thursday, February 6th, 2020. Spring training just around the corner. I keep saying it every day, and every day it creeps a little bit closer into becoming a reality. Welcome into the show. For this Thursday show, as we did last Thursday, I'm hopping into the Twitter questions once again. About once a week, I'll send out a tweet reminding you guys to drop me questions, things you'd like to have me talk about, and you never know, I may end up bringing it up in the podcast. Sometimes I get a question that I find so interesting, I end up having the ability to use it for an entire podcast. It's the only question I, I have to to have to jump into 30 to 40 minutes of conversation with myself. And it works out great. Earlier in the week, I got a question from Mason on a listener voice message and turned that into a whole conversation about the Cardinals bullpen for this coming season. And you can leave me a voice message if you'd like to be used and played live on the podcast at a date to be named later. You can do that by going to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. Leave me a 30 or 40 second voicemail message with a question or comment you have about the Cardinals, and I will use it in a future episode as long as you are relatively respectful with the subject matter of which you would like me to discuss. I would love to have you do that, but today I've got a bunch of different questions, a kind of mixed bag from Twitter that I would like to just run through as many of them as I can and use that for today's podcast. I believe it was last Thursday when we did that, and so we'll try to make that kind of a, a tradition we can do on Thursdays or Fridays each week, later in the week. And again, I've said before, when it gets into baseball season, there will be content that y'all will want to hear about on the weekends too. So as many shows per week as I can do, sometimes the weekend shows will be just as important as the weekday shows because... We won't really be able to control when news drops or when big games happen on the weekend versus the weekday. So I'll try to be as daily as I possibly can be with B-Shape Daily as we head into the season. But today, it's a a hodgepodge of Twitter questions. I do want to mention before I jump into this, I got a great question from Gashouse Gab on Twitter. And you can follow me there at B-Shafer12. Gashouse Gab wanted me to list my top five baseball movies And then he asked another question that I'm going to answer in the show. But as far as the top five baseball movies, I think I I need to give that a little bit more consideration and perhaps answer that on a podcast either tomorrow or early next week. I'll give you a list of some that are my favorites, but to put them in a top five, you know, right now I list, I I really quick ran through seven of them and I, I could be leaving out some movies. So here are my seven right now, and I'm going to whittle this down and give you a top five over the next couple of days or next week. League of Their Own, Field of Dreams, Moneyball, Sandlot, Major League, The Rookie, and Bull Durham are a list that I have going right now. And that's seven movies. So if I'm forgetting any that deserve consideration into my top five, let me know. Send me a DM. Message me on Twitter or Facebook. Facebook.com slash for 12 over there. And then that way I'm, I'm fully locked and loaded when I go into this of the mindset of trying to whittle down to my top five. Another baseball movie that is totally panned and people didn't like because it was just kind of a a corny movie. It's about the Cape Cod Baseball League. It's called Summer Catch with Freddie Prince Jr. And in the movie, he's a pitcher and his catcher is Matthew Lillard, the guy that plays Shaggy in the the live-action Scooby-Doo movies. And then Freddie Prince, of course, 
is Fred in those movies. So uh, that's a terrible movie, but it's one that I like. It won't make my top five because, again, it's not you know high quality. But as far as like bad movies go, I enjoy that one. And it's kind of fun. The Cape Cod Baseball League is is that they made a movie about that. That's kind of interesting. But yeah, give me give me your baseball movies so that in a future podcast I can do a better job with an all encompassing list. If you have one that's your favorite that I haven't mentioned yet, um, I want to do my due due diligence before I jump into that. But the other question that was asked by Gashouse Gab, and that's where I'll start the show today. He asked, "Would Peak Albert or Peak Gibson help this Cardinals team?" More So if you were to take peak Bob Gibson or peak Albert Pujols and suddenly be able to add that player to the 2020 Cardinals, which would help them more? And I thought about it for a minute and I thought, man, I know Albert is fantastic and I was, you know, a a young fan during his peak. So I got to watch it and appreciate it. Obviously was not alive for Bob Gibson's peak. We remember, you know, reading about his 1968 season when he had a 1.12 ERA and they had to lower the mound after what he did that year. And the more I thought about it, I'm going to be strategic and kind of, it's kind of a way to hedge a little bit because I'm going to answer the question as it's asked, not, you know, who had a better peak at what they did respectively. But I can say Bob Gibson would help the Cardinals more because this Cardinals team already has Paul Goldschmidt at first base and he's pretty good. And Bob Gibson is going to be way better than whoever the fifth starter is for the Cardinals this year. So you go Bob Gibson, Jack Flaherty, Carlos Martinez, Miles Michaelis. That's pretty good. So I think pretty easily, and you could argue, you know, Bob Gibson's peak, his best season of his career was probably still more impressive than whatever Albert's best season would have been. Both are Hall of Fame players. Albert will be when he's when he's finished. But I would say pretty easily Gibson because of the fact that you consider the opportunity cost and what you'd be replacing. Albert would be not replacing Goldschmidt because somehow you'd have to put one of them in the outfield, but that kind of decreases the benefit of having, you know, the upgrade because you're if you're sticking Albert in left field or whatever, it's just it's not quite as beneficial because you've already got a good first baseman defensively in Goldschmidt. Both both were good defensive first baseman in their prime. But whatever you'd be replacing there with Albert, I don't think the benefit would be quite as high as replacing your number five starter, which could still be somebody pretty good. It could be Kwon Young Kim, or it could be Adam Wainwright. Maybe you consider Dakota Hudson as your number five. Whoever it is, I still think the upgrade to Bob Gibson is probably greater. Um, Now, the bat in the lineup going Albert Goldschmidt right in the middle, you'd have your cleanup hitter, that's for sure, one way or the other. But I'd have to lean Bob Gibson. Um, if for no other reason than I'd love to see a prime Bob Gibson pitch and see how Twitter would react to that guy. Uh, so that, that's my answer for that one. Another question, uh, this comes from Caitlin, and she even responded to another of my tweets and said, hey, you didn't, you didn't do my question, what gives? I'm getting to it now, Caitlin. I wanted to give a little bit of thought to it. She asked me, and this is definitely the most creative question I've received so far. Caitlin asked me to rank the players from most likely to be able to eat the moon if it were made of ribs, to least likely to be able to eat the moon if it were made of ribs. And this is obviously an important topic as we get into the Cardinals entering the 2020 baseball season. So I'm going to bring it to you here. Some of the least likely guys, I think it's kind of easier because you can look at some of the guys who who eat real healthy and, and you, know, you, you don't know if they've they've got the ability to pack pack down a bunch of ribs. Like Matt Carpenter, I think is more of a health health eating guy. I think Paul Goldschmidt's a guy that would, you know, take care of himself. Not that the guys I'm going to list don't take care of themselves, but 
the Cardinals got a lot of lean, mean machines on this team that I think the list of guys that would not be able to do so is probably longer than the list that could do so. We know, you know, we don't have any Jonathan Broxtons on this year's St. Louis Cardinals. You know, Alex Reyes is a guy that's lost some weight again, so he's he's looking pretty lean these days. But if I were to answer the most likely to be able to eat the moon if it were made of ribs, I look at, and again, Adam Wainwright's a thin guy, but he's a Georgia boy. He probably likes his ribs. I think if there's going to be a if there's going to be a food choice that he's going to splurge for, it might be ribs. I could see Wayno putting down some ribs. Dex, Dexter Fowler, another Georgia boy, might like his barbecue. Uh, I'm looking at, and, and John Gant is another one. I think Gant could be an underdog in this competition. I think I might have John Gant number one. He's also also hails from Georgia. I thought Harrison Bader for a minute, but then I thought maybe he's one to be a little bit more on the health side. I've seen him eating some salads, pecking down some salads in the Cardinals' uh, lunchroom before. Uh, but Tyler O'Neill is an obvious answer. You know, he's got to have plenty of protein to be able to look the way he does and and get all that energy for the, the iron that he pumps. So I think O'Neill would definitely be toward the top of the list. I give Lane Thomas a chance, but he's a you know he he's pretty clean cut. So and that's another element you got to think about. Like Dexter Fowler, I don't know if he's going to go crazy onto the ribs just because he's 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 fashionable, he's stylish, and so when you eat ribs, man, it can get kind of messy. I could see John Gant just you give him a bib, he'll get after it with some ribs. It's a good question, creative question. I like it. Uh, I, I'm a, I apologize if my answer was not creative enough, but those are some of the guys that I think would be would be interesting if the Cardinals were to have a a rib-eating competition. Uh, We'll dive into the next question. Duke asks me, of the non-roster invitees, who do I think will be the biggest surprise that could either be for a good or bad reason? So the Cardinals have a a large amount of non-roster invitees this season because they they are doing away, at least for this year, with the step camp, which is kind of the secondary minor league camp that that goes on, starts a, a week or two after the big league camp reported. At least this was the case last year. A lot of the minor league players, younger, uh, you know, they go on the backfields and they they get their spring training camp in as well, alongside the big leaguers as they're playing in the in the real grapefruit league games. And sometimes you'll see some of those guys called up temporarily from step camp to get to play in some of those games this year there is no step camp the Cardinals said it's just be, it was a timing issue didn't think it was worthwhile based on when the minor league seasons begin and, and just the time allotted for spring training rather than have the step camp this year they just made big league camp a little bit larger and so guys like Nolan Gorman Matthew Libertor guys that may not have been necessarily invited have been invited as non-roster guys. And so those are the guys that people are going to watch, those two top prospects. Dylan Carlson's another one. So I don't know that any of those three would be able to surprise you in, 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 a, in a good way because we're already kind of keying on those guys as we enter spring training as guys that you'd like to look out for. Uh, but guys that maybe not as many people know about, this John Nagowski is a player who was with Memphis last year not really as much of a prospect the way you think of prospects because a lot of times when we talk prospects, these are younger guys who are still developing and are on the come and could potentially you know, rise up as they get into age 23, 24. is a 27-year-old guy, but you look at his numbers last year at Memphis, he's a guy that when you talk about that Jose Martinez role that has been obviously left open by Martinez when he goes to Tampa – Ron Hell Ravello. Ravello is somebody that would be getting consideration for that role off the bench. 
I think John Nagelski, though he's not on the 40-man roster, is another guy to pay attention to. Because Ravello's numbers with the Cardinals last year, when he did get opportunity, they weren't that great. And so I think to just go ahead and anoint him with a bench spot is a little bit premature. Even though he's on the 40-man roster, if Nagowski is playing better, you know, his numbers at Memphis last year, I know the PCL was a hitter's league, but he went 295 with a 413 on base percentage, slugging 476. Uh, Nagowski hit 15 home runs in 380 at-bats for an 889 OPS. So he had some pretty strong numbers down there. He's 27 years old. So like I said, he's not a young guy. He's not really a prospect. But if he comes out and, and mashes in spring training, he might be a guy they give a little bit more of a look to to potentially, uh, you know, I, I doubt out of spring training he would necessarily be on the roster because he's not on the 40-man right now. But if he if he plays well in spring, makes a good impression, goes down to Memphis, continues to hit, rather than just be, you know, you talk about – uh, Jose Martinez, he he came up when he was, what, like 28, 29 years old for the first time. And so Nagowski, not necessarily a prospect, but we've seen before with Martinez as a great example that guys who are, you know, career minor leaguers who haven't really had their shot, they can still, they can hit, you know, if they show they can hit and they, they get, get their chance because of an injury or whatever. Uh, Nagowski, and I, I saw him play a couple of times last season when he was with Memphis, um, could be somebody that's interesting if he continues to just mash, um, He's going to have to demand some attention from the from the higher ups in the organization, and I think he'll get a chance this spring to show what he can do, um, despite the fact that he, his age is a little beyond what you would consider for a prospect. So, on, on the hitting side of things, that's somebody that I'm kind of looking at, and whether or not this pans out, I'm going to say his name anyway. You guys remember Rob Kaminsky that was uh, traded a couple of years back for Brandon Moss when the Cardinals got Moss, and at the time the left-handed pitcher Kaminsky was a young uh, prospect. You know, on the pitching side, a top prospect, ranked highly in the organization. And so when he was traded away from Moss, some people, myself included, were kind of like, ah, that's kind of a bummer. I would have liked to have seen what that guy could turn into, you know, a former first-round pick. Uh, But he's kind of been someone who has shifted to a relief role through the minor leagues. And if you look at his numbers over the last couple of seasons – like, okay, you think about this trade, and you're disappointed at the time, but then it turns out he never really turned into anything because he never elevated himself to the major leagues, and so it's fine. It's not a bad trade. And obviously now, you know, he was let go by whatever. He was with Cleveland, and the Cardinals signed him back. You look at his numbers last season, he was he was pretty good in triple or pardon me, in double A, had a 2.3 ERA, struggled a little bit when he got to triple A, had a 5.11 earned run average, but... Back in 2018, you know, he had a good performance in the Arizona Fall League. You look back, since shifting to relief, he, he's been a little bit up and down, but has had enough to where I think it's interesting. At age 25, the Cardinals are giving him a shot as a non-roster invitee. Could be somebody that down the line could get a chance in the Cardinals' bullpen if he's able to turn things around a little bit and build on some of that success that he's found at the lower levels of the minor leagues. Has yet to do really well in AAA, but... His, his numbers mostly throughout the last few seasons in double A have been pretty strong. And so while, again, he is not somebody that's really at a prospect age anymore, could be somebody that as a reliever down the line could, if he makes an impression in spring, be on the radar for later in the summer. Those are a couple of guys I'm looking at. Uh, last year, I know it was popular to talk about Max Schrock as somebody. He, he never really was someone that impressed me too much. Uh, just kind of a, a contact guy, middle infielder. Uh, you know, not a lot of walks, but didn't strike out a lot. Just, you know, buoyed, I think, some years by by a high BABIP. And so 
Uh, didn't really do a whole lot last year at AAA, but he'll be there. He got a lot more attention over the past couple of years as somebody who was a prospect, uh, you know, middle infield. I think the Cardinals got plenty of those guys, and so I'm not sure that he'll necessarily burst onto the scene. Ivan uh, Herrera, depending on how much opportunity he gets, they talk about him as kind of the next up-and-coming catching prospect behind Andrew Kisner. Still a little bit green, a little younger, so uh, he's rated as one of the Cardinals' top five prospects, and we'll see if he gets into any action uh, in spring training or, or whether he's just somebody that's kind of on the periphery. You've got to have catchers when you come into spring, and so should be a good opportunity for him as well to kind of uh, elevate his status and, and try to inch ever so closer toward being viewed as, as an option for the major league team. So those are a few guys that kind of jump out to me, but obviously I think all eyes are going to be on those prospects those top guys like Libertor, like Dylan Carlson, like Nolan Gorman. Carlson is certainly the one that has a chance potentially right out of camp to be able to make an impression and advance to the major leagues as early as, you know, opening day if, if the Cardinals really wanted to go that direction. If not, within the first couple of months of the season starting, he probably should be making his major league debut. Libertor and Nolan Gorman, at least a year off, a couple of years off, uh, both those guys could be starting in Palm Beach and High A. They, I, I doubt that they start in Double A, but by the end of the season, I think it would be a positive progression if you were to see those guys be able to do well and be able to get to Double A by the end of the year. I don't think that's necessarily a stretch by any uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So those are the kind of guys we're going to be looking uh, at, at how they perform in spring training uh, coming up next week. Another question comes from Trenton. What do you think is the key for the Cardinals if they're going to make a run in the postseason? Uh, I think the key is health to the starting rotation. That's number one most important, I think, because if you look at the guys that they have in that rotation, Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, Dakota Hudson, Adam Wainwright, potentially Carlos Martinez. We're talking about health here, so if he's healthy, he's in that group. That'd be fantastic. And Kwon Yun Kim, I think that's six really quality starters. And if those guys can all stay healthy, the depth there is going to be impressive and it's going to keep them, you know, sustained throughout the rest of the season. Uh, so that's number one. And I would say finding and sticking with the right outfielders that can emerge of this group of young players is the key number two. Because I think, you know, I could just say it would be a cop-out, but I could say internal improvements. The kind of improvements the Cardinals are looking for from all these veterans from last year, those actually coming to fruition is obviously a key, and that would be fantastic. But I think beyond that, being able to find what you have in O'Neill, in Lane Thomas, in Dylan Carlson, in some of these younger players, I think is a key. And if they're able to find that they actually have some quality big leaguers, from that crop, I think that's another key because you're going to be able to find, uh, you know, some playing time for those guys in left field. And even if the Baiters and the Fowlers don't necessarily show the kind of improvement that you'd like to have seen from what they did last season, I think there would be enough talent to go around. So those are a couple of the keys. I think if those things happen, this is a good 90-win Cardinals team that could could show some staying power, especially with, you know, health in the rotation. You saw what the Nationals did last year with the dominant starting pitching staff. The Cardinals might have a top three, not quite as good as what they had a year ago, but if you if you run out Jack Flaherty, Carlos Martinez, Miles Michaelis, that could be something that sustains you through a playoff run. So I think those are some of the keys uh, to what you would be looking at for the Cardinals to be able to do that in 2020. Let's see, looking back at this list, uh, Rachel asks, not sure if you've talked about it yet, but what do you think we can expect to see from the new pitcher, Kwang Young Kim? And my thoughts on that signing. So I have mentioned it a little bit in previous podcasts, but I'll definitely be happy to go over it again uh, because he is somebody that I'm pretty excited about from the Cardinals' perspective. Look, 
the the signing is something I love. Whether it works out or not, it's virtually no risk at all because I think they signed him for like two years, eight million, something like that. So four million dollars a season is nothing. You saw what they were able to get out of Miles Michaelis in his first season with the Cardinals uh, in 2018 when he had an ERA of 2.83, I believe it was, and pitched 200 innings. So he was sensational. And coming from overseas where he was a, a workhorse, a durable starting pitcher, that's kind of what you've seen from Kim in his recent seasons. He's a low-walk guy, uh, decent strikeout numbers, almost a strikeout per inning last season. But he's the kind of, you know, even though he gets strikeouts, he's also successful in a pitch-to-contact context. And I think that's perfect. And it really fits with what the Cardinals can do defensively, especially across the infield. So if he's a guy that can limit home runs and continue to pitch to contact, I think he should be able to have success. And if he does get into that starting rotation, which I hope he does, I've said time and time again, I don't know how he fits into the rotation because I know that in order to get him in there, there's somebody else that you're expecting to be a starter that would end up not being in that rotation, whether it's due to injury or they they move somebody to the bullpen. But I think if Kim does get in there, I think he could easily be a guy that, you know, we're talking about at the end of the year is a big surprise. I'm kind of, and again, I haven't seen him pitch live. I'll get to see him when we get down to spring training next week and, and be able to, to have a more refined opinion on the topic. But just looking at what I've seen from videos and on paper, he seems like the kind of guy that we could be talking about in September. Like what a, what, what a stud he's turned out to be a very viable number two, number three starter who's thrown 185 innings for this team and had an ERA of 3.5 and, you know, goes deep into games. Like, he could be that kind of pitcher, and to do it from the left side is something the Cardinals have really not had. Uh, you talk about Jaime Garcia. He, he had some good years, and, and people remember him for more of the injuries and things that went wrong because he wasn't a very durable pitcher, but he was electric when he was on. I think this guy, Kim, could end up being a combination of more durable but but have that high-end upside. And to be able to get him for so you know such a small risk, I think is fantastic. Now, could you have made an argument that the Cardinals should have gone in for somebody like Madison Bumgarner or Dallas Keuchel or Hyunjin Ryu, another left-hander? You know, those three were lefties that were on the open market and free agency and signed longer contracts for more money than what the Cardinals got Kim for. You could definitely make that argument because you know the Cardinals always have room to spend more money, and if it was a worthwhile addition to the roster that you think could help them win games, I think that would have been a great thing that they could have done that would have been you know cheaper and more affordable than the Arenado or a Mookie Betts or things that, that would just ha- go above and beyond what I think Bill DeWitt is willing to do. You could have done those things, and it could have been probably within the structure of the payroll that they that they have for this, this coming season and the seasons to come. But then again, in September, October, we could be talking about, okay, take those three, consider what they signed for, and then consider Kim. Kim might end up being better than those guys straight up. So I'm not saying that it's more likely that he will be, but with starting pitchers, any of them can get hurt. Anything can happen. And so I think the Cardinals feel more comfortable taking a risk on a guy that they believe in and doing it for a more affordable rate. Yes, you'd like when they do go above and beyond and pay somebody that it's somebody worthwhile the next time that happens. But, you know, at this point in time, when when you look and, and see what the Cardinals do have uh, in their rotation, I feel pretty decent about it. And I think even though they didn't make a splash, a huge addition, Kim could end up being more than you think he's going to be. He could end up bringing a little bit of something to this rotation this season. I'm really excited to get to see what he can do. And interestingly enough, right as I'm recording this podcast, I get an alert, an email from the Cardinals that they have 
made a waiver claim for Ricardo Sanchez, a 22-year-old left-handed pitcher from the Seattle Mariners, and have designated infielder Ramon Urias for assignment. Uh, Sanchez, 22 years old, made 27 starts last year for the Arkansas Travelers, going 8-12 and with a 4.44 ERA. Arkansas of the Texas League, so that's double-A. So an addition made to the Cardinals' 40-man roster. Um, obviously, decent numbers at double-A, at uh, 22 years old, so probably not somebody you're expecting to make an immediate impact, but another lefty added to you know the starting rotation depth within the organization. So there's a little news drop for your Thursday. Um, I don't have a lot to say about this kid, but uh, Ramon Urias, you know, if he's claimed, he'll be with another team, but is a guy, an infielder that, you know, the Cardinals liked. They, he got a lot of pub last spring, I remember, during spring training as a player they liked a lot. But again, I think, as I just mentioned with Max Schrock, not to say these guys are a dime a dozen, but you've got a lot of those kind of infielders. I know Edmundo Sosa is another one. You know, guys that can hit a little, they can they can play some good defense at multiple positions. I think the Cardinals are all set at that spot. So to, to take a lefty pitcher, uh, 22-year-old Venezuelan, uh, you know, I think is, is fine. And we'll see what happens, what becomes of Ramon Urias. Uh, but that's a move the Cardinals have made today. So let's check back in on the thread of questions that I've been asked here. Uh, M. Phillip asks, do you think it's a big deal? Carlson, Gorman, Libertor all begin in big league camp, or should we tame expectations, expect them only to spend a few weeks up in spring training? Uh, it's not a big deal because, as I mentioned before, like in and of itself, this is the only way they were going to be included because there is no step camp this year, uh, as I talked about earlier in the show. Uh, so for, for Gorman and Libertor to be there is is a deal in that it says enough about their futures that the Cardinals want to get them involved early, you know, as early as possible, just so that they can get a taste for what big league camp is like, because a couple of years from now, maybe one to two, you know, that's when they're, they're suddenly on the radar for potentially making the big league club as early as 2021 or potentially 2022, you know, that, that that's begins to be something that's on their team's mind. And so just getting them some experience, I think in those two's case, Gorman and Libertor, it's more of a team expectations, expect them to spend a couple of weeks, three weeks. Uh, maybe they'll get them into some big league action, some games, but they won't be somebody that are pushing for a roster spot this season. Carlson, different story. I think Carlson, I hope that he is with the team all the way through the end of spring, whether he makes the team or not, because they should be getting him as many at-bats as possible and seeing what this kid has. So I think for him, he's on a different trajectory because he's already mastered double-A and he, he showed – in, in a quick month last season that he's probably good enough to where he's, he could bypass triple a. It doesn't need to spend any more time there for his development. It's a matter of, can he make that leap against big league competition? And hopefully they give him every opportunity to showcase whether he can or not. Uh, Gorman and Libertor. Yeah. It's more of a, just get their feet wet kind of situation. Let's see. I got two questions about Arenado from Eric and Jeff. How serious do you think the cards are on Arenado? And it starts with an A and ends with Renato. Uh, those are the two questions. Uh, I don't think there's anything on the Arenado front right now. Anything is possible. It could it could really heat up at any moment in time. I don't expect that it will. Because for that to happen, the Rockies have got to, got to, got to come down to the Cardinals level on the financial element of it. And I just don't think they're going to do that because their whole reason for potentially wanting to trade Arenado is because they don't want to be on the hook for money. So for them to take on a bad contract plus give the Cardinals 
extra money to take on Arenado. I just don't think the Rockies are going to do that. And so unless they do, I think that's dead in the water. We're not going to really see a lot on that front. But you never know. We'll we'll keep our eyes and ears open to see what happens with that. Uh, Brian asks, I like to hear your opinion on the Battle Hawks and what the support will be like in St. Louis despite losing our NFL franchise four years ago this month. I think that STL fans will be energized when the XFL starts up this weekend uh, because they do want to show that they're a football market and that it matters and, you know, they like their sports. And so I think that there will be some good support. But again, if if the product of the XFL doesn't have staying power, like it's got to prove itself as a product. We know the uh, AAF, you know, kind of came into the, the picture last spring and then faltered very quickly. Will the XFL have a little bit more staying power? I am basically ignoring it for the most part. I'll kind of tune in if I'm if I'm available to watch, but it's not something I'm paying a whole lot of attention to. I do like that they have some Mizzou, former Mizzou guys on the roster, and it's kind of a cool thing. Football in the spring, why wouldn't you like it? But it's nothing on the level of the NFL as far as retaining my interest until it proves otherwise. But hey, if fans in St. Louis are energized about it and they want to pack the dome with however many people, it's not, you know, you talk about a sellout. They're not going to open up the entire dome with tickets. So whatever they open it up to, if it's half capacity or 40%, and, in the, and they sell that out, that would be pretty impressive. I wouldn't expect it, but if they do, more power to them. It's just not something I'm paying a whole lot of attention to as of yet. Uh, but yeah, you know, it'd be great for St. Louis to get the NFL again someday, in my opinion. Is that going to happen? No, I don't think it's very likely at all. But um, I'm still a football guy, and the NFL is the biggest league going as much as they're crooked and corrupt. So I like my city to be involved in, in the big things. So that's why I would want to have the NFL. It doesn't really get more complicated than that. Uh, but yeah, we'll see what the Battlehawks uh, have going on here this weekend for the first time. Mark asked me, should Bush Stadium have been built with a retractable roof? Uh, no, although I think it, you can make the argument that it would be better for f- baseball fans in, in April and October and September to uh, maybe be more willing to get out there and go to games during the colder months of the season. Uh, but no, I'm not a big fan of retractable roofs for baseball um, because then you give give them the ability to just leave it closed most of the time, like at Miller Park. Like Miller Park, I, I remember you know at times last season, it totally could have been opened up because it was beautiful early in the season. And they still left it closed because they just, that's their tendency. Although later in the year they had it open and it started raining. So, you know, you can't, you can't win for losing in that situation, but no, I'm not a big fan of the retractable roofs necessarily. And let's see, I got one more question here and then we can wrap the show up after this one. Skate boys skate asks me, how do you, how do you level the team's stated goal of not giving out Albatross contracts with the numerous deals they've given to players past their prime? Yes, there's not a ten, you know, ten-year, two hundred fifty million dollar contract on the books, but there are a lot of bad contracts that are, you know, for less money. And this is a great point, and it's basically what I ended the show yesterday talking about. And I really went into into depth on this for like ten or fifteen minutes. So if you missed yesterday's show, that would be episode nine. This is episode ten that we're wrapping up here. I would say without a doubt, you should go back and listen to at least like the the second half of episode nine. Because I talked about it yesterday. I'll go into it here a little bit briefly before the end of the show. The Cardinals have always been wary of the 10-year, $250 million. You know, the Stanton type of contract, the the Albert Pujols contract that he got with the Angels. You know, the Cardinals didn't necessarily, you know, want to go to that level. There were other reasons that Albert went with the Angels instead of the Cardinals. 
you know, feeling disrespected, I think, about what the Cardinals' initial offer was. But, you know, you look back on that, and it's probably a blessing from a baseball standpoint that they didn't end up having Albert for that contract because knowing the way the Cardinals are with their payroll, they probably would have cut corners in other areas and maybe not been as competitive. Uh, but the Stanton thing, you know, that that's looking like a bad contract. They weren't in on Bryce Harper. They're not willing to take on Arenado, the full amount of money on that. So there's a lot of instances you can point to that the Cardinals are not really keen on going into that, that big kind of commitment on one single player. But when you look at their track record with guys in that $80 million range or, or paying $30 million for a reliever like Brett Cecil or signing Greg Holland to one year on $14 million, like those those numbers add up. If you if you take the Fowler contract, the Leak contract, the Cecil contract, and the Holland one, just those four off the top of my head, that's $200 million right there. And so you could say that, you know, they haven't got a ton of value from those contracts. Fowler had a good year. He was fine last year. Leak was serviceable, but you could have probably found what Mike Leak gave you with some of the, you know, younger guys in the organization. Like Daniel Ponce de Leon, if he had to start 30 games this year, could probably be what Mike Leak was when he was with the Cardinals. Like, he, decent player. They could probably do that, and you don't have to pay for him. So. It is interesting, and I do think that looking at those kinds of deals that the Cardinals have doled out in recent years and seeing how they haven't necessarily panned out with a high degree of success, I think it has impacted the way the Cardinals view free agency not only in this offseason, but will have that similar impact going forward. Talk about Nick Castellano signing with the Reds for $64 million. He might end up having a good season or two for them. He might end up having four good years for the Reds, but... Those are the kind of contracts that I think the Cardinals have to be a little bit more selective with when they hand them out. And and they thought to themselves, okay, and Marcelo Zuna is another player that's a great example. You can look at what he was asking for. Evidently, the Reds, he turned down a deal from them, three years, $50 million, and ended up signing for one year and 18 and a half with the Braves. So if he was asking for three years, $50, 60000000 million from the Cardinals, the Cardinals could say, all right, do we, do we sign that kind of deal and potentially have a situation where he's Dexter Fowler or he's maybe a little bit better than Dexter Fowler's been for us, but it doesn't move the needle to a remarkable degree. Or would we rather take a shot and, and see if in three months we view Lane Thomas as somebody who can be that same player or better for, you know, 500000 a year? Tyler O'Neill, another example of a guy that they have in-house that they might want to find out what he would be if they gave him 500 at-bats. Justin Williams is a left-handed hitting prospect that may get a chance if he has a good spring training. Dylan Carlson, one of the top prospects in baseball. Same thing. So I think they have these guys, and they're saying Ozuna might be a better player, project to be better than Fowler you know, projects when we signed him to that contract. You do have to remember Fowler was coming off a career year and had a really good 2017 with the Cardinals. That was 2017, right? Yeah, the year right after the, the Cubs won the World Series with him in 2016. And so looking back at what that contract has been kind of up and down, you could say, look, I know Zuna, maybe a couple years younger, has a little bit more of a different style of game, more of a power hitter. He could explode for 40 home runs this year and eclipse a hundred RBIs and be an 850 OPS guy or better. But he wasn't that with us. And we're tired of waiting around because we might have a guy that could kind of be that already in our system, and we'll never be able to find it out unless we give him playing time. So 
we're going to go a different direction this year for better or worse, and we'll have to live with the consequences, positive or negative, of, of that decision. I think some of that, the, the element that fans are not very keen on when I look at Twitter and they talk about they didn't add an outfielder, they didn't add a cleanup hitter this offseason, I think some of those things are maybe learning from their not-too-distant past and saying, you know, we don't want to sign what we consider to be a mid-tier free agent to a four-year contract and be on the hook for him for the next four years when we might only want him because we feel like we have a need right now in this season. And that that need might not exist a year from now once we find out that Lane Thomas is actually a pretty good player. You know, that's what they had with, with the Dexter Fowler thing. They had Tommy Pham emerge as a capable player like three months later. He was suddenly like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. Why didn't we know about this guy before? So I think rather than signing those longer-term contracts, the Cardinals are looking for for shorter options in free agency or in-house options. And I'd like to believe that comes with the side caveat of they are now maybe a little more willing to say as long as they pick the right mega contract, they could potentially look at one and sign one. I don't know if that's true. I think eventually they'll have to dip their toe into those waters and sign a guy for $200 million total. But again, you got to make sure it's the right guy because that that will set the Cardinals back if that signing goes bad. It'll be self-imposed, like it'll be because they decide, yeah, we, we, you know, now look at our payroll. We've got all this money going toward one player that isn't producing for us. We can't afford to take another risk like that and lose because we've already got ourselves on the hook for this money over the next five years or whatever it is. And if you would look at the guys that they potentially could have done that with so far, Arenado notwithstanding, because that would be via trade, we saw... David Price, they went in on, didn't get, and it turned out to be a blessing. Albert Pujols, same thing. Giancarlo Stanton, as of now, it'd be a blessing because he he wasn't even healthy last year. So just make you got to make sure. I mean, I, I'm all for the Cardinals going in on those guys. Bryce Harper, had you done it, I think it would probably pan out. I think you'll still have a good career. He wasn't out of this world amazing last year, but he was still Bryce Harper. He stayed healthy. He played the season, and he's still pretty young. So his prime, he's right in it. So it's interesting that the guys that they were inclined to go above and beyond and make a run at didn't get them. But had they got him, we'd be looking at it like, oh, that wasn't good. But the guys they didn't really express any interest in, Max Scherzer, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, it looks like those could end up being pretty good good deals for the teams that ultimately signed him. Anthony Rendon, we'll see. You know, these are guys the Cardinals were not even rumored to have any interest in necessarily that would have potentially been pretty interesting plays for them. Uh, So, you know, and then they are interested in Arenado. We'll see if anything comes to pass on that. And over time, we'll know whether or not that would have been a good addition or not, whether they get him. It doesn't really matter. We'll get to see what his career plays out as and what the value of his contract ultimately becomes. It's just kind of interesting to view, though, uh, you know, the way the Cardinals look at things. I agree with the question about, okay, we know they don't like these mega contracts, but these other mid-tier contracts that they've been signing guys to, and you can even talk about extensions to a guy like Matt Carpenter. The the jury's still out on the Miles Michaelis extension. You look at some of these extensions, it's like, have these really been panning out? And then there's an extension sitting there right in front of you that you'd love to see happen, Jack Flaherty. I don't know if it's going to happen because I, I think that would dip into the tier of crazy money. If, if you're Jack Flaherty, why would you sign an extension right now if you believe in your health and your ability? You're only going to become more of a more of a, an attractive asset as time goes along. 
as you stack up these Cy Young caliber seasons, if you're Jack Flaherty, I'm not going to take the quintessential standard Cardinals extension for a pretty good player. Because if I'm Jack Flaherty, I'm a superstar, baby. I'm not signing for, you know, well, this is what the, the smart money would say, and you're, you're buying that security. No, 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 no. If I'm Jack Flaherty, I'm like, here's my Cy Young season in 2020. You want to talk extension now? Okay, here's the number. Oh, you don't want to yet? Okay, I'll put a I'll put another Cy Young season together. Here's the number. Year from now. Now we're into arbitration. It'll be like the Mookie Betts thing where he's just going to become so valuable that his earning potential shoots through the roof. And then the Cardinals have to say, uh-oh, are we going to lose this guy? We're going to have to trade him. I'm telling you. The Flaherty thing, if he continues to pitch like he did last year, it's going to be interesting. I don't think the Cardinals are in a position to sign him to an extension right now. I mean, they could. I just don't know if they're going to because I think Jack Flaherty's ask, rightfully, would be more than the Cardinals typically have shown they're willing to go for a guy in his position who is not even into arbitration yet. So that's going to be another interesting thing to follow. But I appreciate the question by Skateboys Skate on Twitter. And I appreciate all the questions from everybody that asked me one this week. Always feel free to ask questions. And uh, as I dropped earlier in the podcast, anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. You can record your own voice asking me a question, and I'll play it on the show. Uh, But otherwise, I'm going to wrap things up here for today. I appreciate you guys for joining me. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcasts, pretty much, we can be found. The bshafe Daily show. I appreciate you guys for joining me. This is what I'm going to leave you for today, and I will talk to you tomorrow.